Hey, Guy Watch people, it's Fagoth here again. I'm bringing you a new show and a couple things real quick. One is make sure you visit our Facebook page. We've got quite a bit going on there, uh, just getting to know each other a little bit better, prayer requests, different things like that. It's at the Guy Watch Podcast. And then also our Twitter. I've been trying to be better about getting active on there, putting stuff out. I'm still trying to figure it out, and it's it's not my thing. But, hey, if, if I can stay connected with you, I'm going to do what I can to try to use it. But this week's show, luckily, is is one that turned out great because it came from a listener request. Uh, a listener said, hey, I know this guy, his name's Pastor Ryan Jorgensen, and he runs an apologetics class, and I reached out to him, and uh, he's actually the pastor of Harvest Bible Chapel in Grimes, Iowa, and uh, he has quite a story, and I thought we would go more into apologetics, but uh, really, we just discussed his life my life and uh, what makes us stronger and how apologetics in particular have really shaped his ministry and his ability to uh, follow God and stay connected. So again, I want to say a big thank you to Harvest Bible Chapel for opening the doors to us and letting us record there and taking the time to sit down for the show. So with that, ladies and gentlemen, Pastor Ryan Jorgensen. Ryan, how are you? I'm doing good. Good. Today we kind of have an answer to prayer. I mean, one of the things that I've really been praying for is that I can make connections with churches outside of my immediate touch. We had some other some listeners who told me that you had an apologetics program happening here at uh, Harvest Bible Chapel. And so I just called and left a message on an answering machine and uh, got some got a phone call back from uh, one of the ladies that works here. And then you called me the next day. And it was wonderful talking with you and spending time with you. And I'm excited to be able to sit down and learn more about you and what you're doing and, you know, all those things that surround that. So I guess when we get kicked off, can you just tell me a little bit about you? Where do you come from? What do you... What are you doing? I currently live in Grimes, Iowa, which is where our church, Harvest Bible Chapel, is at. We've been here as a church coming up on, it'll be two years in November that we moved to town here and got a, a great building that God's blessed us with as a church. Um, but my family, we live here. My kids, I got three kids, um, and they go to the schools here. They're uh, 10, 6, and 4, and my wife is Holly. We moved out here four years ago from Indiana, is where I'm originally from, and uh, we came out here hearing the Lord's voice calling us very clearly to, to start a, a church, specifically a Harvest Bible Chapel, and to come to Des Moines to do that. Uh, the most important thing about my life is is Jesus Christ. And uh, I, I grew up in a home with uh, my mom. My, it actually starts with my mom and Ted. And it won't go forever. Of course, I have like an hour. But uh, anyway, but, but, we'll, uh, but, but it, it starts with my mom and dad, and you'll see why. Because uh, my mom actually is from Iowa, from Cedar Rapids, okay. where she was born. And so my, obviously my grandparents lived out here for a while. They ended up going to Wisconsin uh, eventually. And then also, then my dad was from Wisconsin, so that's how they, their families got close to each other eventually. And my mom's family, uh, love them very much, but uh, my grandparents were what we call priesters. Uh, if, they, if they went to a church, they were going to a church, you know, Christmas, Easter only. 
uh, kind of thing. Uh, and then my dad was, uh, they were just non-church and, and dysfunction, alcoholism, abuse. Uh, seven kids, five of those were boys. They would fight, go through walls, just just um, just a lot of problems. Divorce, both fam- both my parents, uh, fa- parents, my grandparents all divorced. A lot of mess, and and so. But when my mom was pregnant with me, my mom was uh, told uh, by a fellow worker in her dental office she was working out about Jesus Christ and this personal relationship with him not just some christian religion and the holy spirit just opened her eyes and she she gave her life to christ and it was just phenomenal radical uh conversion to christianity uh she brings that home to my dad my dad's thinking what happened to my wife she (laughs) she she drank the kool-aid oh yeah oh yeah it was foreign to him uh, and so she began to grow with this coworker in Christ, having some Bible studies and whatnot. Eventually then, so I'm born, and so my first five years of life, uh, I my dad wasn't a believer. My mom was reading the Bible, I think trying to go to church when she could, but still in this home with a husband that was anti-it. And raising kids and raising, taking care of everything else. Yeah, yeah doing all of that. And, and then by the time... Uh, but then by the time I was five, my dad, the whole, the Lord was working on my dad. And I'll say this to anybody out there that's listening. If you are a spiritually single person, your, your spouse doesn't love the Lord. Don't give up. Keep praying. Um, there's no guarantee, but, but on the other hand, when you hear stories like this, it gives you some possibility of hope, right? And that sometimes it takes a long time. And no matter what you pray for your unbelieving spouse and you model for them, a, a born again changed person and you serve them and you live out the gospel in front of them and so that's what my mom did for five hard years um, but then the Lord was doing his thing too through her and through other events and eventually broke broke down my dad and he uh, cried out to the Lord and, and gave his life to Christ as well and so at, and why I say all that is because as a even as a five-year-old yeah. It's amazing what five-year-olds picking up on what's going on around them. Well, you know, I I have a five-year-old, so my oldest is five, and it is amazing what he picks up. You know, I mean, even from society, from culture, from church, from me and my wife. Sometimes it's not the best things, but you, I mean, I think you're a hundred percent on target there. That there's little eyes and ears are always working. Absolutely, so. absolutely. So. So I'm I'm watching then as I grow up. Well, when I'm about five, that's that's also the same time that my mom sat me down on our '70s orange couch and uh, gave me the simple gospel message, and uh, and I just had the faith of a child and I gave my life to Christ. I prayed with her to the Lord, asked Him to forgive me and come into my life, and uh, and it was genuine. And the way I know it was genuine is because throughout my childhood, well, all my life, but definitely through childhood, I, I could sense, when I look back, I, God had a special hand on my life. I, I had an exceptional hunger for the Word and for the Lord and, and, and whatnot compared to other kids, you know, in our church and things that maybe were just kind of going because they had to and this and that. And so, um, but, but also what's neat with that is, is also when, when, when my mom presented the gospel, my dad was just came to know Christ. My mom's been walking with the Lord those so many years, and 
I'm thankful I didn't have to wade through the confusion of religion versus a relationship. Yeah. Uh, my, my mom and dad, when they would pray, I mean, it was authentic. I mean, they would, they didn't like, uh, recite some pre-made prayers all the time. Now, although they did have a little bit of church religion in them, and there was a certain prayer we would pray at, at dinner, but even then I remember after we would recite that, that, uh, what became honestly meaningless prayer yeah. uh, every dinner. Eventually, they're like, "Why? Why are we doing this?" I mean, I, I'm watching this as a kid. So through through all my childhood, I'm watching the Holy Spirit transform my parents in front of my eyes. See, and I think that that's that's beautiful. And even me, when I when I started to explore my faith and come into it, that personal relationship is a part that I didn't understand. It took me a, a long time to get there, and I think that a lot of people do. And uh, the key component is really that personal relationship. And I think that, especially outside of people of faith, they see it as this confining religion with rules. Where, you know, once you finally, at least me personally, I've reached the point where this is a personal relationship and these rules are not rules to keep me locked into a box they are uh, uh, things to help guide me to be successful you know and and that was a real a real eye-opener for me once once i finally realized that so i'm I'm glad that you got to it early man i think it's it's exciting yeah yeah i I thank god i know i was spoiled in that like i said i didn't have to try to find that out really on my own it was modeled well for me so, uh, yeah, so that's kind of my background. And then it was like at 10 years old that I sensed God calling me to some sort of vocational ministry, but I thought it was overseas missionary. Yeah. Even at 10. Wow. Um, and, but then by the time I got to college, I went to a Christian college and, uh, there God made it clear that it wasn't at least at that time overseas missionary. It was a uh, pastoral ministry in the U.S. And uh, so I fought him some on that call, but I eventually got <laughs> God. God is sovereign, and He will get you, yeah. and uh, and you'll be miserable till you give in. So might as well get you know. But no, I I uh, gave in to Him, but but nevertheless, you know, I, I I want to do it for the Lord. You know, sometimes when God's calling you to do something, you might have fear and interpretation, and and in fact, a lot of times when you sense God's calling you to do something, you're probably going to feel those things. Uh, but, you know, you, you step out in faith and you say, okay, Lord, you know, and you just be honest with him. I was. When I gave him the call to be a pastor, you know what my number one fear was? What's that? Fear of speaking in front of people. That's I, funny because I, I, I have the same, I have the same yeah. thing. And I would force myself to go and give talks in front of people so that I could try to get over it. I, what, did, what was yours? Absolutely. A yeah. fear of speaking in front of people in high school. I would avoid speech class like the plague. God, God even so much lovingly gave me the gift of I get hives on my neck when I get really nervous yeah uh, where it's all red and, and, and uh, spotty and uh, and shaking and I mean when I first gave into the ministry you know call and then given my first so many sermons I mean I'm, I'm like you know my, my stomach's not working correct I'll put it that <laughs> way I mean like you know every everything that people talk about that, that why could why they could never go witness to someone like every time I, I I love you, I don't have like I'm sorry, me too. 
right? Yeah. And instead, it's but is the Lord calling us to do this? Yes or no? And and even if you are nervous, even if you are your stomach is in knots, even if you got hives up your neck, whatever it is, um, if we love the Lord, John fourteen fifteen, we will obey His commands. If we love the Lord, do you love the Lord? Yes, of course I love the Lord. The Lord has told us to go outside of ourselves, depend on Him, and go share the good news with strangers and whoever and our family and whoever. And and yeah, we're gonna be we could be nervous out the wazoo, but that's not an excuse. And uh, instead, it's another reason even more to depend on Him. But let's go do it. Let's be faithful. And so well, that was my big fight, though. It was like. Lord, you know, I, like I do not want to speak. I mean, that, if I remember right, for pastors, most of them they have to speak in front of a lot of people often. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and I'm looking at my number one fear, and I'm thinking, God, what are you doing, really? And uh, but nevertheless, like I said, uh, I, I I got down on my knees in my my uh, dorm room and my futon, and I just <laughs> was like, God, all right, here's the deal. I'm going to give in to this call, but you have to help me overcome this. And uh, now today, praise God, um, because I've you know put myself out there, depending on the Lord, uh, being obe- obedient, it is way easier than it was for the first so many years. But, but it, on the other hand, there are so many times that I've been so nervous. See, for me, because I was the same thing, I was scared to death to speak in front of groups or even read in front of groups so if i knew there was like a community thing coming up i would sign up to force myself to go do it kind of that what do they call exposure therapy right Mm -hmm. and so i would go and do it and i and i felt more comfortable doing it and then i i got up to give a message at a church one time and i noticed going into it it was like i didn't do anything and at that time i felt kind of inferior you know, without it, theolog, you know, any background in theology, without these things, I'm building, you know, this sermon that I think sounds really nice, but is it, is it true? You know what I mean? Is it, are all these things that I'm teaching, I want to make sure that what I'm sharing with somebody is, is appropriate and it is, is good theology, right? And I noticed just getting scared out of my mind again. And so I went back when I, before, I remember the one thing that I used to do was I would turn the stage lights. If I was speaking on a stage, I would turn the stage lights up so I couldn't see anybody. <laughs> it would just be this bright light shining in my face. And then uh, I found out that if I can experience the room before I speak, um, it makes it a little easier for me. Mm. So I would, you know, after after a couple of times, what I would do is I would show like a short two-minute video. Mm up on you know on a screen or on something and then those two minutes would give me time to just center myself in that space Hmm. look and see who's out there see who i know maybe i can talk to you know a couple of these people Uh and those little tricks and i feel so much more comfortable now than Hmm. than i ever have before and Hmm. i don't you know god has just kind of removed a lot of that from me and a lot of those kind of trepidatious Mm -hmm. thoughts and you know, I'm just in a lot more centered place, so I'm glad that you are too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's and it's by the Lord. It's not in myself. I mean, he he's he is uh, he has grown me because I was willing to step out in faith and be nervous and yet be faithful and do do these things. 
Yeah, now, now he's he's had me, for instance, I've been, he's had me down at the Capitol building in Des Moines and, uh, you know, literally defending the lives of pre-born people in front of, I think that day there was 400, estimated 400 people that were on the other side of that argument and they were, let's just say they weren't Christ-like. Yeah, very vocal. And it, yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, and, and so I look at situations like that where it's honestly very volatile and people are calling you all sorts of things, uh, not happy with you. Um, but when I look at that, I'm just like, God, that's you. That's your power. Like, this is not me. If it was up to me and my flesh, there's, I mean, I still would stand for the subject. I wouldn't be down there doing that, you yeah. know, or I wouldn't be up giving sermons or I wouldn't be, you know, doing all the different things that God's, you know, having me do these days. And it just, again, I just want to encourage people. Like, man, if God's calling you to do something, uh, do not think that you can't. Yeah. Because I'm, I think the last time I remembered in the Bible, it says that with, with man, it's impossible with God. All, all things are possible. all things are possible. So uh, yeah. it's true. I've I'm personally seen it firsthand. I know that you know. There's times where I've walked into a situation or had to go do something, and and I just all I think is the only way this is going to go well is if the Holy Spirit's with us. That's you right. know, I mean, it just sometimes there's no way to. I couldn't do it on my own, mm-hmm. you know. So, so yeah. So now you got this call at a really young age to get ministry. So, I mean, all your friends want to be firemen and policemen, and you're like, I'm going to be a missionary in some place that I don't speak the language of. I mean, I think that that's a, that's a unique start. Yeah. You know, and so with that kind of start, you know, high school and, and college life, where did you end up going to college at? I went to Indiana Wesleyan University. Okay. And it's a Christian school, and I grew up going to public school all through my life up to that point. I was really excited uh, to go to a Christian school after trying to live my faith out in a public school setting. It was hard. And yet I praise God for it because it, it caused me to, to be sure of what I believe and stand for it in, in a secular setting. Uh, so I would never take that back. My, my kids currently go to public school and if people feel called to do Christian school or homeschool. That's awesome. And that's between them and the Lord. Um, but that was my background. And, uh, but then when I went to Christian school, I was looking forward to it and, uh, I loved it. So, it, like I said, it was during that, it was between my freshman and sophomore year when God, though, called me to become a, to switch and become a pastor and not, before that I was a history and social studies education major, thinking I would go overseas, teach history as my tent making skill, yeah. and then, of course, share the gospel from wherever I was. So I switched those, the majors and, uh, and then kept going through that. So that's how it started there. Then, uh, I graduated and I went straight to becoming a, a pastor in a church in Indiana. Where were you at in Indiana? Uh, well, Indiana Westland, and then uh, I'm from originally Peru, Indiana, okay. Pocomo, Indiana, North Central. And so I actually went back to the same area I grew up and became a staff pastor there. And it was there for 10 years, uh, 10 years doing different hats of ministry, men's ministry, small group ministry, Sunday school, uh, young adults, college age, uh, those were my main hats that I would wear at different times or through the whole time. And uh, then also about five years uh, after that, I always told myself I would never go back to school <laughs> And when I first got into ministry. And I've, I've 
I've I've really gotten over the never. Don't tell God never. Like I'm I'm done. I've, there's been a few of those times in every time, <laughs> but um, but at that point I was saying no, I would never. And then five years that later, I'm I'm having this itch from the Lord to to go uh, get more schooling, and uh, I wanted to get a Master of Divinity. And so that I did a hybrid program with Columbia International Seminary in South Carolina. I didn't want to go move. I was loving the ministry that I was at, but I wanted to also be taking classes and work towards a Master of Divinity. And so I found at that time there was not a lot of seminaries yet that would let you get your whole degree without moving there. Yeah. And Columbia International was one of the first ones that I could find that would actually let, let you do the whole thing through a distance hybrid program. So I would do that. It was, you would go down there two weeks for intensive classes, two times a year. So four times a year, or four weeks a year, you were there. Other than that, you were doing online. And so I did that while also, again, during those 10 years of being a pastor and then got my Master of Divinity. That's nice. Yeah. So, and then, so you, you're in Indiana and you got the call, I'm moving to Iowa, right? Yeah. So what happened was, so I, I did the 10 years there. Then I, I uh, very clearly called, got called by the Lord to plant a church, start a church, um, about 10 miles from where we were before at the other church. And so we did that, and we, we uh, had five months of pre-launch before you start public services, and then we were up and going five months. And uh, unfortunately, financially, we could not sustain it. And I found out that the master divinity in the secular uh, marketplace gets you nothing. <laughs> and, uh, <I> imagine. <laughs> and so, um, I was doing everything I could. I had no problem being a tent making kind of pastor by vocational anything. Um, but, but the best I could find in that area was during the tail end of the recession in North central Indiana, where, where there was four Chrysler plants in the, the city nearby. I mean, it was auto industry. Unemployment rates are high. Um, it just it was a struggling place. The best job I could find was a um, was delivering pizza, you know, which was fine. I was happy to do it, but it just wasn't paying the bills. And uh, I had to make one of my hardest decisions of my life. That uh, was okay. Uh, we have no doubt God. We 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 know God called us to go into to plant this church, but here we are, only five months after launch. We've seen 16 people come to know Christ. We have about 100 people coming. Um, but financially, it just wasn't working for my family. Yeah. And, and as best as we could look into the future, it was going to be years before that would change. And I didn't want to sacrifice, and here's a big lesson for people, I did not want to sacrifice my family on the altar of a ministry. Because uh, sadly, you'll hear these horror stories of a pastor who their number one uh, priority was the ministry and not their family. Yeah, and it's it's horrible stuff. So I knew I'd heard of those. I did not want to repeat that. Um, and so we made one of our hardest decisions, which was we we need I need to take this degree that I have and my experience. I need to find a ministry where that it could pay for, uh, my, you know, pay, pay the bills. And uh, now it was also a challenge of my identity. Do I find my identity in my ministry, uh, or do I find it in Christ? Well, I think that you know, from from a business side of things, you know, you see a lot of the same stuff. You know, how many guys really successful businesses but crumbling relationships? You know, kids that raise themselves. You know, 
hey, you know, I don't get to go to my kids' baseball games because I've got a business to run. And, you know, on the flip side, the identity thing, mm. are you the business? Because, you know, being somebody who runs a small business, it monopolizes you, you know, and, and to be able to realize, I remember when I look back younger, I had different aspirations for business, right? My goal was to make a whole lot of money and be the boss, right? Now, I want to have that flexibility. I want to be able, you know, I still have to work a lot, but when I want to take my family on vacation, I schedule a vacation. That's right. You know, and, and I do these things and being the boss is not important to me. You know, when I go into places, most of the time people don't even know I own the business. They think I'm just a random worker who shows up and I'm okay with that. I don't need the pat on the back because I am not, the business allots me a resource. It doesn't make me, you know, and I think that in, in the ministry, it's the kind of the same thing, you know, and I, I'm so glad to hear from a, from a pastor's side of things, just that sheer amount of honesty. Oh man, uh, let me just tell everybody out there, pastors, we are not exempt from any of the same temptations that non-pastor, you know, pastoral people have. We have the same ones. And some people might even argue there's even greater temptation because pastors is a very public, uh, you know, role. And so it's, yeah, there's a lot of temptation there to have your identity be wrapped up in your positions and in your success or not. And and so the Lord was working on me on that and testing me on that, Ryan. Okay, are you going to sacrifice your family on this altar? Uh, or are you going to trust me um, that, that it's time to move on? And then if you obey that, are, are, it's, a, you know, it's like, are you going to, how are you going to take this? Are you going to take it with humility? Hey, you gave your best. You, you did what you could. The Lord's sovereignty was a different plan than you thought. Um, but you're not going to, again, get upset. You're not going to think less of yourself or think less of other people or whatever it is because, you know, your identity is wrapped up into it. And so um, I praise God. He helped me to walk through all of that um, by his grace uh, pretty well. And so we uh, pulled the plug on our part of the plant. Now, this was what's cool. God had another church, uh, actually in the next county, uh, they came, actually bought the building. We merged the people that were in the church to those those pastors of that church. Because I had, I, even though I knew God was calling me away, I, I have that had that responsibility on my heart. I'm, I'm a shepherd of them, and I don't want to just like that's your abandon them. I don't want to abandon them. I know God's calling me to go, but I I want to be able to pass the baton off uh, of this church. And it's cool how God opened that door with this other church. So, you know, we we you know said, hey, this other church is coming in, and and, and you know if you're willing, let them be your pastors now. God's calling us to do something different. And uh, it was really cool how it turned out. So, so that happened for a short, you know, about a year <laughs> total uh, of that. And then, so there I am, and I'm, I'm like, all right, God, what, what do you want me to do next? And uh, and so through that searching process, within a, about four months or so, God opened the door to join up with Harvest Bible Fellowship, which is based out of Chicago area, uh, founded by a pastor named James McDonald. Who is uh, who started the first ever Harvest Bible Chapel in 1988, and uh, by this point now they in 2000 they started planting other churches and formed a network of churches called Harvest Bible Fellowship, and and so 
this was for me. This would have been in 2012. Is now um, I hear about it and I, I check into it and they uh, they say, yep, we think we'll we think you seem like a pretty good guy. We'll 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 take you in and train you. <laughs> take a chance on you. Yeah, right? yeah, and uh, and. And then they, uh, so we went to then move to Chicago for a four month training program. And then, uh, through that process, God made it really clear to plant a Harvest Bible Chapel and specifically then to plant one here in Des Moines. Wow. So now as this, it's kind of a whirlwind of times. You know what I mean? Like ups and downs of the ministry, delivering pizzas, hearing God's call, trying to make sure that your congregation is taken care of, feeling the urge to move, going to get more training. I mean, you're a married man. If I went home and told my wife, baby, we're gone. You know what I mean? Like, how did that work for you guys? I mean, did, was she, is she just, I mean, I'm sure she's amazing, but you know, is she just supportive? Is it, I mean, was it difficult or was it just, hey, God's sovereign, he's going to get us through? You know, yeah, when I think about it again, I mean, my, my wife is amazing. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> Holly, it's, I, I've been, I'm a spoiled man. I'm a spoiled man. And Holly, she, I, she's never through all, like you said, all of that, ter- planning the one church in Indiana and moving to Chicago, getting up, connected with Harvest Bible Fellowship, coming out to the one. She's never doubted my pursuing of the Lord's will and in hearing the voice of the Lord. And then the Lord would at times not just convey things to me in different ways, but also to her too. And so, yeah, when I think through all that, as you're having me do that, she was, we were united 100% the whole way. And that's just God's grace. And that's, yeah, and it's amazing. And I see the same thing, you know, me and, me and my wife, I look at our relationship as a team, right? We're a team. We're a united front. The, the two of us together just can move forward. and But in the same token, we're very opposite, right? Mm-hmm. My wife has had a job for 15 years in one place. I'm like, eh, I'm going to try something different. <laughs> you know. And I know when we first got together, uh, she didn't understand that, right? Because, you know, why would you, you have a business. Why would you start another one? You know what I mean? Multiple businesses, different things. You know, I remember, I remember kind of being embarrassed at times because, you know, business was, was difficult at first, right? And we would go out for a nice dinner and my mind would automatically go to, how can I do something in here? You know, like, you know, and just how my mind worked and how I was always trying to push forward. And even though my push forward wasn't always in the ministry, it sounds like you guys had that united front too, where we're going to keep pushing forward and eventually we will get traction. God will get behind us and, and we'll have what we need, you know? And yeah, and that's the, you know, people talk about my wife too. And I can say this, she's amazing. Like, you know, I mean, there's so many other wives and, and women that, that walk amongst us couldn't deal with it. You know what I mean? They just, it would be too much stress and too hurtful and, and, you know, different things at times. And yeah, an amazing wife is, is yeah. like gold, buddy. You oh, uh, yeah. yeah. It's so true. It's so true. And, you know, yeah, when I think about it, I think we moved in one year, we moved four times, had a baby, uh, three states, 
and planted a church. Yeah. One year. That's so much and so much per Lord like, willing, stress. Lord willing, not again. Yeah. <laughs> but whatever God wants, we know that He's faithful and He'll take us through it. But yeah, that was that was crazy. That's amazing, man. I, I love I love hearing people's background, like where they came from. I mean, it's such an honor for me just to see how God works in different people and how he brings them to where they're at. And I know one of the things that you guys are doing here at Harvest um, that I don't see everywhere else is this apologetics course. Um, What got you into trying to move that forward to, to kind of do that? Because it's kind of unique, right? Yeah, yes and no. Um, the reason I say yes and no is in unique is because a lot of churches and pastors and whatnot, they're, they're probably doing apologetics training. They're just not using that big word, yeah. if that makes sense. Um, because apologetics is it's, it's giving a defense or an answer for the reason for the faith that you have based on 1 Peter 3.15. Uh, and so, um, so like I said, a, a lot of pastors are doing, they're just not necessarily maybe using that term. Uh, another question would be, are they, are they, you know, are they working that kind of thing into their sermons at times or are they going all the way to start a training center? Like we are, obviously yeah. there's different levels by which you do that. Um, you know, some churches, they might have a Sunday school class here and there that is more what you would call more of an apologetics type course, like sharing your faith. Like that's an apologetics course. You just don't use the, the, the name for it, um, the term or, or they might have a small group study going on. And so there it's happening in churches, but, but how much is it straight on and, and how involved is it? And, and you guys have this focused intent though, I guess is, yes. is, is a nice way, you know? <clears throat> yes. Yes. And so where that comes from is, is my own personal walk with the Lord as well as, I would argue, um, I believe that we need to focus more on it because of um, it would help with this um, epidemic in the American church of losing college-age people from the church. It's 50%. And, and even all the way down, yeah, and even down, honestly, to high schoolers. You're already losing them there. So, uh, But especially by the time they get to college. And, and so I believe that... Um, we need to be more on top of it in, in, in with the younger ones, actually, starting there, but the whole church as a whole, obviously, uh, to counteract that. Because the days in America where the predominant culture is Christian, if that makes it like a, a Judeo-Christian worldview, let's put it that way, those are over. You know, those are, those are farther, getting farther in the rearview mirror every year. Uh, and so instead then, what's replacing that is more of a secular, humanistic, evolutionary-based menta- uh, viewpoints, and uh, which is godless, right? And so that's what's by far being taught in American institutions, and that's why um, what's going on, though, is, is we can't count on just because a kid grew up kind of going to church here and there or whatever it was, uh, or even regularly, and taught just the scriptures and uh, don't get mad at me, people. And let me finish my sentence on that, okay? Um, that that they're going to be able to uh, withstand the onslaught of the atheistic arguments that they're going to hear in state schools, for instance, or they're going to hear in media from Hollywood, or they're going to hear from now, you know, YouTube and the internet. Um, 
And and so we we they're not just, the days where they could just be just be taught the Christian worldview, and not be taught the other worldviews and how to engage them with the Christian worldview. Yeah. The, those days are over, and so we have to, like I said, instead we need to obviously, and that's why I want to say, hang tight with me. There's no question. We start with the Word of God. That is our foundation. On every level, I mean, our name of our church is Harvest Bible Chapel. I mean, you're not going to find churches that are more on about the Word, but also we teach the Word, we teach the Christian worldview, but we also need to be willing to dive into, for instance, the atheistic worldview. Teach it, but then, of course, teach how to, 1 Peter 3.15, give an answer to it, how to lovingly take their own arguments and turn them against themselves and expose the foolishness of that worldview. And, and, and we, have to, we have to go that far in. And a lot of churches, sadly, are not doing that. They, if <laughs> The first debate, in our, I guess, battleground in a lot of American churches is they're not even teaching the Bible anymore. And that's a whole other subject for a different day, right? <laughs> <laughs> but but even those of us that thankfully we are saying, hey, the word of God is the foundation. Um, but even then, we guys, we have to get farther in and to be willing to also dive into the other worldviews, the lies that are out there. And then how, teach people very practically how to engage with those arguments. Because, if, see, if we can do this, for instance, with teens... When they go to college, it shouldn't be. Uh, let's you know this. This like, they, 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 let's take this. Um, Shelly, you know, is a teenage senior girl. Grew up in the church because she can quote a lot of verses. She she knows the main stories. She's born again, loves Jesus, right? But she goes to secular school for whatever degree. She's never really heard the other sides. Never been tested. Never yeah. been tested. Not yeah. not really heard much of the other sides. And so now she's going to be taught by these professors of PhDs, uh, and she's going to be in a culture where they assume that if the more degrees you have, the more you must be closer to the truth just because you have more degrees. That's the culture by far viewed. I mean, they're like, if you have a PhD, wow, you must know more truth. You're very educated. Exactly. Yeah. Um and, and so then they're saying stuff that is the opposite. And, and they're hearing for the first time arguments they've never heard. And they're now the minority. That, that's, a, that's a really hard place to be. Well, and I think that when you sometimes wrap that secular view or this kind of anti-Christian view up and you never had to defend it, it's really easy to be swayed. And, you know, I wish that I was stronger in my apologetics because I see so much value in it. And at least in my place, I know in my, in my case, I know that there is, we can take the Bible and we can take science and we can take history and they correlate each other, right? And I know that after we spoke, I went online and downloaded a couple of your podcasts and I listened to uh, your Origins podcast. And one of the things that I thought was really neat that I don't know that I've ever heard somebody else who teaches apologetics do is stand up there and say, we don't have the right answer. And people believe 
these eight things is pretty common, right? Now, I'm not telling you that any of these are wrong. Here's how we show them. Here's some proof behind them. And I thought that that was really great because there is a lot of holes. There's, there's different things that we can't explain. There's things science can't explain. There's things faith can't explain. But there are things that we can, you know. And, um, I mean, what, what do you think some of the most common questions for apologetics are? Like, you know, you have an apologetics 101 class. You bring in some guy who's not combative. What's he going to ask you? I mean, what are, what are some of the main the main? Yeah, they, they're looking for... It depends, obviously, on their background. Let's take an atheist, though, like an atheistic background, or they've heard that, or they're agnostic. Yeah, um, they're, they're just looking for proof. They're looking for proof of a god, is what they're a lot of times they're looking for. And yet, here's some stuff that I've learned in the last couple of years that just blows my mind. The very fact that they are looking for proof of a god actually argues that they believe in a god. That there is a God who they are seeking, or there's something that they are seeking? And no, not of... even that. Here it is. You ready for this? I'm ready. If atheism is true, atheism has to admit, they say there is no, there is no um, reason to believe in induction. Uh, there's no reason to think that the past, that the future will be the same as the past. Everything is random chaos. In fact, just last night, I was watching a documentary on the Sandy Hook shooting, and it grieved my heart when I'm watching an interview of one of the dads who lost their first grader, and it just came out of the screen at me when he said it. He said, you know, I, I just believe this world is, is, is uh, no, I'm sorry, let me, he thought, he said, you know, why did the shooter go to the left and they went in the building, not to the right? You know, those kinds of kind of, kind of hard questions of life. And he, uh, and he said, you know, I've always believed that, that there's no reason to it. It's just chaos. right? Which right there already tells me he's an atheist. That's, yeah. that's what atheists have to believe. There's no purpose to anything. Nothing. Yeah. No meaning to life. It's, it's just pure chaos, random uh, uh, atoms flying into each other. That's all it is. That's your life. Yeah. And that's the world. And so here's a guy going through, right, trying to heal from a tragedy. And he said, I've always believed that. And he said, and I always thought there was beauty in the chaos. And then he said, but now I'm really struggling with that very concept because now that chaos has hurt me. And they panned away to a different interview. And I just right there, I prayed for that dad. Yeah. And I said, and I was like, Lord... That is what atheism gives us. Nothing. No hope. No meaning to life. Not even the beauty he thought there was in chaos. Now it's hurting him. And he's over there grieving when the whole time the Lord is, is there saying, I love you and I want to comfort you and I can help you and I am real. Right? So anyway, so that's atheism. So, but atheism... They are not atheist, th that viewpoint. You're not allowed to um, even ask for evidence to prove anything. Because what you are um, implying is that there's the law of induction, which means that the, pa that, the, that the future will be the same as the past. In other words, you want to give me proof 
that this this happened now because of evidence back when. Well, that that's no proof whatsoever because if it's all chaos, you you can't assume that today or the future will be the same as the past. Everything's just constantly changing. Yeah. Instead, if you believe in a God who is unchanging, that 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 is that's created at all, then you can assume that the fu- the present and the future will be the same as the past. Then actually, you can actually do science. See, and I, the few things that I know, and and I'm not a scientist by any means. Like you know, I think uh, bro science is as close as I can come to it. Right? <laughs> you just, I think I heard something, but it goes back to the idea of of everything not being random. Um, one of the things that I, th- I remember hearing was Einstein, right? Einstein in his uh, theory of relativity was somehow able in like the early 1900s was able to show that what is it gravity space and time were created were came into existence at the same time you know and so if how does that happen you know what I mean like if if everything is random wouldn't one thing start first? And you know, and like I said, I'm no, I'm no pro at any oh, of this no, stuff. Oh no, you're fine. But, and even that know, kind of idea yeah. with uh, Richard Dawkins. Let's let's throw out the, the heavy hitters today. Yeah, you know those that uh, you know those who are caught up in atheism. They look to these guys as their heroes. You know, you can get on YouTube. You can watch a video where he he just reveals the foolishness of the atheistic worldview when you're talking about origin, because that's what you're talking yeah. about right now. Origin. Yeah. There's a video of him where he's on a panel. And uh, they, they, they ask him. So, what, what's his theory from an atheistic worldview of the origin of everything? And he's like, "Well, it had to start from nothing." And 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 they're like, "How does that work? How does nothing become something?" And he's like, "Well, that's that's the thing. It's got to be mysterious." And and he goes on this long thing talking about trying to explain to us what the nothing was. And finally, I think this priest or someone sitting next to him just says, and people start laughing. Even the crowd begins to laugh. And, uh, and, and then Richard Dawkins stops and he goes, what, what's so funny? And then the priest answered, he's like, kind of really for the crowd. He's like, I think we're just laughing because you're, you're an intelligent guy and you're sitting here trying to explain to us what nothing is. Isn't nothing just nothing? It's no thing. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? And, and yeah. so... The, but this is the kind of stuff. It's not to be arrogant. You got to check your heart and your motives on this thing. It's just to be factual, logical. Atheism at its core is foolish when you really come down to it, and um, they borrow from the Christian worldview all the time to try to build up their case. Yeah. They, there's a great book out there from a, an apologist, uh, Frank Turek. Called stealing from God. The whole concept. This book is phenomenal. I encourage people to get it and read it. But the whole the whole point is, atheists constantly are stealing uh, concepts and, and thought processes and evidence, if you will, from that they they're not allowed to do if they're staying true to the atheistic worldview. They're they're acting like Christians. Well, that's funny because that's one of the things that I get a lot is. Well, I'm moral. I I go to the homeless shelter. I do this. Well, why is your moral compass the same as mine? You know what I mean? You 
I have a way that I'm supposed to behave, a way that I'm supposed to conduct myself. You don't have that. You know, if, if there's no reason for you to do this. And so I've always wondered why is, why is the atheist moral high ground the same as mine? Because if I didn't have a God directing my life, my moral compass would be different. I'm not saying that I would be out there committing crime and doing these things, but I probably would not prioritize love, compassion, you know, these things that are important to me because of the word, I would live a more hedonist life, right? And, you know, where, where did you get that from? You know, it's, it's, it's stolen from God, you know, I mean. Yeah, yeah, so. yeah, it's, it's crazy. You know, you were asking me earlier kind of how then, how, how did I personally, why did I get a fire in my bones for apologetics? I've been a Christian all my life and you guys have heard my story. And the way it worked out was this, again, you can imagine, I'm, I'm saved at five, I'm growing up in church, I'm feeling God calling me to become a missionary at ten. I had a, I had, always had a hunger for the word, I, I've learned the Bible, I don't know it all, no one knows it all, uh, just a newsflash there, but, but you know, I, I know the, the word well, uh, I go to a Christian school, I'm studying to be a pastor, I've got a, a you know, a bachelor degree in pastoral ministries, I, I have an MDiv now, Master of Divinity, I mean, I know all this stuff. Now, here's where the apologetics thing came in, though, is because this is really, this is more recent history. So when the year that we planted this church of 2012 to 2013, while planting the church, this is going to seem really odd for, I know a lot of people as you hear this, while I'm having to practice more faith than usual to plant a church. It's hard work, spiritually speaking. You're trusting God to create something out of nothing in a lot of different places to plant a church. Yeah. And, and so, yet, the Lord also allowed the enemy to give me deep-seated doubts all the way down to God's very existence. In other words, I'm sitting there at one moment thinking, have I just been suckered into a whole religion that is not even true? Is there, I don't even, is there even a God? Is Richard Dawkins, are these atheists, are all these, are all these professors, are they actually really on to, to really what the reality of things are? And I've just been suckered in all my life. Yeah. And so I'll have these kinds of doubts one moment. Then I'll come out of it hours later or whatever it was or the next day and then I'm like oh that's where I'm you know but then God's like nope nope I'm here and I, I, I'm serious and I don't mean this to be demeaning I felt like I was bipolar and so moment by moment day by day week by week I'm going back and forth between I'm a, pl- a church planter <laughs> yeah sharing the gospel leading people to Christ trying to build a church all this kind of stuff to then I'm over here th- questioning if God even exists another moment yeah. Think about that. It was crazy. Well, and I think that, I think in the church community, that is something that happens to a lot of people. Yes. But we are sometimes scared yeah, or hesitant to bring it up because yeah. Yeah. I know that I've, I've thought the same things. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? You just get down in this rut and you just, how do I get out? Is God really here with me? 
Yes. And you know, if he's not here with me, does he exist? Right. What am I? What am I doing? Right. And uh, yeah, I mean, yeah. And so I'm sitting there, going back and forth, back and forth. Now, let me make this clear. Even in those moments of doubt, the you know the Bible says that um, the Holy Spirit testifies with our spirit in Romans, and it's so true. He 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 never leaves you. He he feels farther away at times, but he never leaves you, and he never left me. But he was he was purposely distancing himself in these times and and allowing me to kind of go through this testing time. For his own purposes and, and will, and 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 really, ultimately, I think it was to to help me to begin to get into the minds more of atheists, specifically what they're thinking, how they're feeling, um, and then also then to get a fire in my bones to lovingly try to then help them, and and so I go through that during the same. I was about about a nine month period of time while we're planting the church, which is just funny every time I think about it. <laughs> but nevertheless, finally, here's what happened. I came across this more full blown concept of a, of this thing called Christian apologetics. That I all throughout my years, I, I never really, you know, dove into or was I, I guess exposed to this this corner of. Christian Christendom in America yeah. and in the world, where there's these people who who you know dive into the other world views deeply and yet and and go and have public debates with the smartest people out there, and and come out to a, a believer of Christianity and defended the arguments really well and you know and or go street preaching and or go to universities and have uh, forums and so anyway so then i i get more exposed to i had heard of these names but i never really dove into them the ravi zacharias ministries the frank turek and his ministries the dr john lennox who let me just say this about him he's at oxford um, uh, PhDs in math, mathematics, and all sorts of stuff. So surrounded by it, yeah, at Oxford, yeah, yeah, and like I said, degrees out the wazoo. And it, basically, this guy's one of the most intelligent human beings on the face of the planet, and he is sitting there saying, "I have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ." And he is out there arguing in a biblical, in a good, you know, yeah. like debating, having public, he publicly debated Richard Dawkins, you know, for instance. I mean, he, he's, you know, I think, or Christopher Hitchens or both. You guys can check that on your own. But anyway, he's, he's like the top, one of these top-notch guys. And, and, and when you look at that, and when I got exposed to all these ministries and I start diving in, what it was for me was this. I could have all day given verses to people. Yeah. But I couldn't enter into their worldview at the same time. And so there was this part of me where the enemy was feeding a doubt, saying, well, Ryan, all you know is your worldview. Maybe if you if you were to dive into theirs more, maybe you might find that you're wrong. That's what the enemy was doing in those nine months. Yeah. And so, but then as I dive, dive into uh, their worldview, but with the guidance of the Christian apologetic, you know, individuals and leaders and these people that have they have the degrees in those secular fields yet they're standing here saying 
Christianity is true. In fact, and this is where it just killed me in a good way, when I realized they actually say that the atheists are borrowing from the Christian worldview to even hold their arguments and whatnot. Like, in other words, Christianity is everything, and everything else is just borrowing from it. And when you begin to dive into this stuff, and it's deep, and it takes a lot of study, and I'm still constantly learning, but I went from doubting if I'm on the side of truth to being more than ever convinced, beyond convinced, that the God of Christianity is the creator of the universe, is the reality of all things, and also, more than ever, instead of being feeling, if you will, possibly threatened by atheism, agnosticism, or really any other religious belief in the, on the planet, instead of feeling at times possibly threatened, instead, I am beyond convinced of the a biblical word, the foolishness or the inconsistencies of those worldviews. And also see how they are literally stealing from the Christian worldview to actually have their beliefs. And so my faith now is a million times stronger. And out of that, that was 2012, 2013. And to see where I'm at now in my faith, and I'm thinking, we have got to get this into the local church People don't need to have to go to Rabbi Zacharias Ministries, which is awesome. And if you go, that's yeah. great, whatever. But we got to get more of this into the local church and again, into the younger generation as well. And because I've heard amazing stories where there are local churches who have done this with their youth specifically. Yeah. And the, in the youth, they go to, they go to college and they're not only not being swayed away, they are actually in love. I mean, they are, they're giving it to these PhD professors. I mean, they're holding their ground, and they are doing a very good job. Students are doing a great job actually refuting the arguments from these guys that even though they have PhDs, here's a newsflash for everybody. Just because someone has a PhD does not mean that they have the truth. Because you think about it this way. you got Dr. John Lennox, he has PhDs, and you can take any other secular atheist person who has a PhD, and they are on opposite sides of what they are saying is the truth. So that right there proves that having a PhD does not prove that you are on the side of truth because here's two people who have PhDs and they're on different sides. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes sense. So, it makes sense yeah, to me. But it's, it's crazy how much we subconsciously just think that if someone has all these degrees that they must be closer to the truth when actually the irony is they could be farther from the truth. The truth is they just have a ton of student loans. <laughs> yeah, that's, that is true. <laughs> but uh, and I think one of the things that is neat, and it kind of goes back to the idea of, of equipping people, you know, my mind keeps going to a place where, you know what, I am not going to probably ever publicly debate some atheist, right? If I have a little bit of knowledge, I can talk to somebody at the diner. You know what I mean? I can, some guy at Wendy's who doesn't like my shirt, you know what I mean? Like, Hey, well, here's why I think this, and chances of them being able to sway me, or actually me being able to open their mind to maybe look at something, would be outstanding, right? And now that 
this ever-connected world that we live in, for all of the faults that this constant connection and, you know, how easy it is to get at things, it also makes it really easy for us to get at information like this. And we can educate ourselves by an Oxford PhD. We can educate ourselves by these other men who are well-studied, well-versed, and can equip us. I, I think that I think that's fantastic. Yeah, it is. And again, as I said, there are people out there who have PhDs in molecular genetics or, what I mean, whatever, you name it. There are born-again believers in all these fields. Um, they just, and this is a, yeah, there's, there's a number of reasons why sometimes they don't, they're not as uh, prevalent or known. Um, but nevertheless, they're, they're there. And so what that, again, what that shows is, see, science is, is not um, factual in and of itself. Science is actually a philosophical uh, action where you take evidence. That's the fact. The evidence is the fact. But you take evidence and then you draw conclusions. That's why we call it a hypothesis, right, in science. Yeah. Um, and... Um, and so, but that's why what you can have is you can have various scientists with these PhDs doing science, but they're all looking at the same exact evidence, but they're coming out on completely different sides of the argument. So it, it's it's so science in and of itself is is not the standard. It's not the standard because science is actually what you are interpreting of evidence or what I'm interpreting. Really, the the standard is the evidence itself. So it's it's funny to me, you know I. I share in general about my, my wife. This is my, you know, this is kind of my, my baby. I let her do her thing and, and I don't, uh, I share about some of our situations, but I don't go real in depth with things, right? But one of the things that you just brought up is kind of funny. And I realize that we just met and most of my listeners probably have absolutely no clue. So my wife, she does work part time and, uh, do you have, I'm sure you don't have any clue what she does. My wife is a college professor. My wife teaches genetics and microbiology. That's great. And, you know, she's a believer. Yeah. she's. Yeah, there's times where her faith is astronomically higher than mine. You know what I mean? When I look and she's just unwavering. And yet she is still educated yes. in science. And it gives me hope because she is in the school system now. You know what I mean? She's not just, you know, she used to, I told you, man, yeah, science is not my thing. Yeah. I can tell you in general, I go to her her parties and the Christmas party and her and her colleagues talk and it's all over my head. I'm not going <laughs> to, I don't stop them and go, well, what do you mean? You know, it'd probably take me eight years of school to figure it out. But, um, you know, just at the level that they are at, she's able to teach these things. And, you know, one of the tricky things for her is always um, in curriculum, she has to teach evolution, right? And I don't know how she does it. We've never, that's her, that's her. But you know what? She's a woman of faith. She is not going to tell you, you came from a monkey, right? Mm -hmm. You know, I'm, I, I know that there is a way that, that can be correlated because I know my wife can do that, you know, and... And if she couldn't, she wouldn't do it. You know what I mean? And so I think that just because somebody is in the system 
and and doing those things doesn't automatically make them part of that that system that that fights against faith sometimes. Right. So. That, that's so that's so cool. Like yeah. your wife. I mean, again, right there, such an example, because the 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 idea among the uh, secular society is this: if you would just become more educated, yeah, you will come out of the inferior worldview yeah. of theism yeah. in general that there's a god like if you just get more educated you'll you'll finally get smart enough and realize that you were just suckered in and and everything and that here is i mean there are tons of scientists yeah. tons of educated people out there that they're like actually when we study the same evidence as the atheist scientist we came to complete opposite conclusion um because the evidence seems to be screaming that there is an intelligent designer. Yeah. And, oh, there's this holy book called the Bible who reveals who that intelligent designer is. And he loves you. And he died on the cross to save you and to give you eternal life to live with him forever and to save you from this messed up world where, yes, there is evil, but he wants to save you from it. And it's not meaningless. It's not just the beauty of chaos that hurts you. God is sovereign over all of it. He's in a process of rescuing us from it. And we and, and that's where we that's where he's crying out to you and saying, I've I paid the price on the cross two thousand years for you ago for you. Give your life to me. Believe in me. You don't you're never gonna have all your answers, your questions answered. You're never gonna have that. But there is overwhelming evidence that there there's a God. And, and then there's an overwhelming evidence that when you then explore the religious writings in the world, the Bible has not, there's no holy book that's been more scrutinized over than what we call the Bible. And yet it continues to stand firm more and more that it is accurate and true and you can trust it. And in that Bible, that is where we find the real God. We find that he came to the world again 2,000 years ago as Jesus Christ died on the cross if we give him our life, we believe in him and ask him to forgive us, he'll do it. Yeah, that's amazing. You see how it all fits together, yeah. you know? And, uh, you know, there's a verse I wanted, I wanted to read it. I know we were ending up on time. Oh, we, um, we're good, man. Okay. But um, this, you know, God, <laughs> God has explained why you can have, let's say, two scientists looking at the exact same evidence and end up on two sides of the law. God actually says in the Bible, he explains how that works. In Romans chapter 1, it says in verse 18, talking about the godly people, the ungodly people, the believers of God, non-believers of God, if you will. And then verse 19, he says, For what can be known about God is plain to us as people, as just humanity. He's saying it's plain to us that we know there's a God. Because God has shown it to them or us. He's, he's shown to us that he exists. And then he says exactly what he has shown us. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and his divine nature, I'll sum that up and say his intelligent design, his fingerprints of creation, have been clearly perceived. So again, he's already said it's plain to us. Now he's, he's driving that home even more. Clearly perceived. In other words... It's not even like we're like, well, we think there might be a God. No, he, God is saying it is clear that there's a God to all human beings because of looking at creation 
And he says it ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So we as humans are without excuse. In other words, we can't sit there on our judgment day at the end of our life and say to God, God, you need you 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 should have gave us some evidence or more evidence or clearer evidence. Yeah. Because he's going to say to every human being, he's going to say, if you were willing to stop going in with your hard heart looking at the evidence of creation, genetics, for instance, if you would have seen what was so clear. How could that stuff exist if there wasn't a designer who put it there yeah. and put it together? And and by your own heart, you you did this, and here it is. He says, um, "Let me look at it here. Find it." It says that they suppress that truth. They suppress the evidence. Wow, that sure looks like there was a, someone put this together. Surely that can't be it. Yeah. Suppress it, and then the Bible says, and then they exchange it for lies, and that is what sadly happens all the time. Every human being, you talk to any kid that hasn't been tainted yet by some voice out there, and and you say, man, this world seems pretty crazy, doesn't it? Do you think there's a God? They'll tell you, oh yeah, there has to be a God. Right? Somebody had to make this. Yeah, like the, it's it's simple knowledge, but but when we grow up and when we are taught, whether by parents or by teachers or whatever, uh, when we are told, no, that can't be it. That's the suppressing of the truth that is clear, and then actually here it is. Here's the truth, and that's one of the big things about macro evolution yeah. in school system in the secular school system. They are. They're telling teachers this is the truth. Instead of say, and and I don't know what your wife does with this, but I would assume she probably says, "Hey guys, here's a theory called macroevolution," and that because that's exactly what it needs to be said. But well, nevertheless, we know then from the Bible as a Christian, we know that actually it's not it's it's a wrong theory, right? We know the real theory is is the reality, which is there's a creator and in his name is God. But um, but nevertheless. Um, they're they're taught them uh, lies, and um, next thing you know, that's all they believe. That's all they know. It's funny to me because, you know, back to the idea of being able to. I've met a lot of people who see God in nature, right? I walk out to this vast forest and the huge sky and the mountains, and they feel overwhelmed by God's power, right? And I have never, like, that doesn't do it for me, right? One of the things that, that really does, though, is people and the abilities that people have and the skills they possess. And, you know, as weird as it probably sounds, as much as I say I'm not into science, but theorizing sometimes on what, how science works with the Bible. You know, I, you know, we as humans sometimes think that, you know, we're the, you know, we're, we're intelligent, but, you know, an animal and this and that, but then a plant. Have you seen the science that's come out about plant communication? Science has proven that when a plant is being eaten, attacked, different things, it lets off chemicals, it sends pulses through the earth. So now not even a plant is not intelligent. Everything has 
a consciousness. I mean, to an extent, I think. You know, I mean, a plant. If a plant can communicate, how is it different than an animal? You know, it was it was built beautifully and wonderfully, and you know, there's just there's so many little things that if you just look at them and you think about them from this biblical angle, it all makes sense. You know, and you're I think, right, and I that's the thing is that my beautiful. faith has just exploded in Christianity because now more than ever. Like you said, the evidence just screams louder than ever. And I'm not, like I said, I'm not afraid at all to dive into the other views uh, in, a, in a loving conversation with anybody, whether they have degrees or not, whether you said it was in the marketplace, whether it's uh, with a yeah. professor with a PhD, because all the arguments are the same. You'll hear the same arguments because then, you know, it's just the PhD person might be able to explain a little more details Ar- around articulate it. Articulate it a little yeah. better. Yeah. yeah, but it's still the overall same same arguments. And so, yeah. so now if somebody is interested in getting involved in some kind of apologetics, I mean, right now, you know, there's hopefully we'll be talking to a vast group of people all over the country. And, you know, now we've been listening to all over the world. Um, what, how can they get involved in that? Is there a specific couple books for like an entrance level apologetics? They, should they just go to YouTube and watch a handful of videos? I mean, is there a direction that they can go? That's a good question. I would, I would encourage, of course, we have our own stuff that we're doing and we're on the internet. Uh, if you guys want to find uh, harvestdemoin.org and that's all spelled out Des Moines, um, harvestdemoin.org and then you can get on there. We have a whole apologetics ministry Okay. section you can find youtube videos of these courses that we've put on like you said one of them was origin we did a couple classes on origin i taught the first session was here's what the bible says about origin right but then i had a guy who has phd a phd in um, um agricultural breeding and genetics who works for pioneer corporation you know so i had him teach uh, a, a portion of it, and again, yeah. here's a scientist in PhD in genetics saying it's overwhelming evidence. There's an intelligent designer, right? And then I also had a, um, a chiropractor who also went through medical, uh, you know, studies, and also as he studied the anatomy of the Bible, intelligent designer screaming out, you know, and so um, had them teach us. So you can go to that website, watch those kinds of YouTube videos. You can also uh, get on podcast. I think it's. Harvest Bible Chapel Des Moines Apologetics or something like yeah. that on podcast. And I think if you just get to our website, you can yeah. find all these I other found, things. I found your podcast off of your website. Okay, off so. the website. Yeah. So those are those are some resources. We'd love to if those can bless people. Um, also, as I said earlier, some books to read would be um, Stealing from God by Frank Turek and his whole ministry. Get into that. Uh, Rabbi Zacharias Ministries is really good. And uh, so th- those would be some some ones to go there as well. Um, and there's all sorts of, all those guys also have podcasts and, and I listen to this stuff all the time. There's also another really good one called Apologia, uh, radio. Huh. Okay. Uh, and, um, they they have podcasts and they do a lot of street evangelism, public debates. Um, and, uh, they've really done a good job of shaping my, um, training as well. Well, Ryan, I really appreciate your time with us. Thanks for running a little long. And I think you gave us so much to think about. I appreciate it. Yeah, you bet, Phil. Thank thank you you. for coming out, brother. No problem. 
Well, I hope you guys enjoyed the show. Remember that you can find uh, Pastor Ryan's apologetics program on podcast uh, if you search Harvest Apologetics Training Center. Uh, I'm sure if you just type Harvest Apologetics, you'll come up with it. But the especially the origin ones, I found those pretty pretty enlightening. So go check those out and let us know what you think. And also stay in touch with us on Facebook at the Guy Watch Podcast, on Twitter at Guy Watch Live, and also you can find us on our webpage at GuyWatchLive.com. Until the next show, have a great week and be blessed.